Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Happy Friday, everyone. Uh, I am feeling good to be back. Thankfully, Raj and my guy Roosh from Houston were able to step in and fill in for me while I was celebrating my birthday with some uh, dear friends out in San Diego. Um, First of all, Raj, how was your past week? Uh, How was Vegas? Do I need to get out there next year? (laughs) Tell, Tell me about it, man. How did it go? It was great. Yeah, Vegas was nice. Um, it was still extremely hot. So, um, but I'm, I feel like you'd be used to that. But yeah, Summer League's a really cool place. It's a really nice mix of like really diehard fans, you know, and uh, just a really different experience. The fans are like on top of the players. So like the, there's people who want to like talk to the players and kind of, uh, I don't know, go at them. Like if they miss a free throw or something, you have people counting down like Giannis um, when other people are at the line. But it, it's so... It's such a like a close knit experience. You you got to go there at least once for sure. Well, and the other thing too is, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, Twitter has been an interesting experience because it, it can be an ugly place sometimes. But at the same time, sure. I've met so many great people uh, on Twitter and have built good relationships. And it seems like that uh, that NBA Summer League in Vegas is just a great opportunity to meet a lot of the people that you've become oh, yeah. friends with on this platform. And so, you know, as as much as uh, as much as it's become a social media world, I think it'd be cool to meet a bunch of you guys in person. Plus, I just love basketball, and I'd love to get out there and and uh, uh, and get to experience that up close and personal. Um, uh, especially when it comes to the really fun part of being a fan, which is evaluating young talent like that. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, as much as I love birthday celebrations, the, they can get, they can drag on as you get older because you get to the point where you have these like different connections all over the place, whether it's this friend group or this family, your wife's family, like, Oh, the person who wasn't able to make it to the big friend thing. So now you got to do a separate thing with them. And then all of a sudden, right. over the course of two weeks, you're just kind of nonstop doing stuff. So I'm kind of excited to just be 30 and and moving through my life now and not have to be stressing about birthday stuff. Uh, <laughs> how, was, but, uh, how, was, how was San Diego, though? Like you were in my state now. Like what was how what was San Diego like for you? So I, uh, I haven't been in six years. And it, okay. if you look at my Instagram or my uh, Twitter page and you scroll down, I, I posted a picture of myself on this bridge six years ago with my wife. And, mm-hmm. uh, it has always been one of my favorite places on the planet. The weather's incredible. The food is unbelievable. It's just the, to me, like I've been to Los Angeles a lot because when I played basketball in college, uh, a lot of my road games were in Los Angeles. So I spent mm-hmm. probably, i probably went there a dozen times uh, d- during my years in college. And I like Los Angeles, don't get me wrong, but I think San Diego is prettier. That's just that's just my personal uh, opinion. I've, <laughs> I'm sure some L.A. guys would probably disagree with me, but I can't wait to go back. I hope to go back more frequently. And by the way, they were shockingly back at it in terms of like oh, yeah. partying and uh, like COVID doesn't exist out there. I, in the weeks leading up, I was worried about that being an issue and ended up not being an issue. Um, <laughs> anyways, That's let's get awesome. to the basketball. So like, uh, what we're going to talk about today is, you know, for starters, we're going to start with the defense for the Lakers because fascinatingly enough, <clears throat> there seems to be almost a consensus among Lakers fans that the defense is going to take a step back this year. And I actually disagree, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, And then we're going to get your input on it and kind of hash that out a little bit. We're going to focus in on two particular role players today, Wayne Ellington and Trevor Ariza, who I think are two of the more interesting players on this team in terms of guys that could potentially not play much at all or guys who could be huge key rotation pieces in the playoffs and and what could what could go right and wrong to lead that to happen we're going to talk about lebron's comments uh, yesterday and his his revival of the washed king narrative Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're going to, if, if we have time at the end, uh, we only have about 45 minutes today, but if we have time at the end, we're going to talk about, uh, uh, the Kevin Durant and Draymond green. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, someone says in the comments, <laughs> someone in the comments says, I come in and you guys are just bragging about vacays, making me feel broke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, at the end, we're going to touch on the KD Draymond stuff, but let's get started with the defense. So, so here's the deal. Um, I think there are. There are three reasons why I think the Laker defense is going to be better this year. 
and I'm going to try to touch on them quick and then we can kind of deep dive into them a little bit. Um, but obviously, the, uh, so many people are are kind of honed in on the fact that the guards aren't as good. And, and, and I get that. I do. I, I understand the sentiment. However, one of the most important things to understand is like there's a reason why a guy like Ben McLemore gets plugged into the Lakers and it doesn't work out defensively. And the reason why is because he's kind of set up to fail in the sense that he's not a naturally great defender to begin with, but there was no training camp and there was no practice. And so you're taking a guy and you're basically hoping that you can just verbally tell him how to fit into your defensive scheme and then learn on the fly with these like 10 minute stints because he wasn't getting much playing time. You know, he wasn't getting these long drawn out stints where he could kind of figure out where his fit is fit was with the defense. One of the reasons why I think, if you remember when AD first signed with the Lakers, there there was a similar pessimism surrounding the guard core. Avery Bradley had been hurt most of the previous two years. He had a reputation as being a good point of attack defender in Boston, but Clippers fans were reaching out to Lakers fans telling everyone that he was washed, you know, Rondo washed, you know, KCP capable, but wasn't exactly the kind of pedigree of defender that he became with Anthony Davis and LeBron Uh, Caruso. We knew he was a a high effort guy. We didn't know he was going to be this wrecking ball defensively. And that's not to say that this group this year is that talented because they aren't, but there's a similar pessimism. And I really think giving Frank Vogel that full training camp with them and and a normal season with normal practices is going to at least give them their best chance to fulfill their role. And there is some defensive talent there. Talon Horton Tucker has a great deal of defensive talent. Russell Westbrook is capable. Kent Bazemore actually has had stretches of being a really good defensive player. So I think training camp and practices are going to help. Secondly, really quick, last year, the vast majority of center minutes were played by Montrez Harrell, uh, uh, Andre Drummond, and Marcus All. And they split those minutes just about evenly. Anthony Davis almost played no center. And the number one action that teams run on offense, especially during the regular season, is pick and roll. And the number one pick and roll defender on on the Lakers for the vast majority of those possessions was one of those three guys. Well, this year, the vast majority of the center minutes, I think, are going to be split between Dwight and A.D., That's a significant upgrade. As much help as AD can provide off the ball, he's actually significantly more valuable in the screening action as the big man and his ability to kind of cover those gaps in a way that those guys last year couldn't. And then Dwight Howard's just better than those guys defensively. Mm -hmm. So I think you're getting a big upgrade in terms of your pick and roll defense in Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond. And then lastly, Trevor Ariza. I think... You know, Kyle Kuzma became a good help defender last year. He became an okay on-ball defender. Uh, uh, Markeith was okay on the ball, better in the post, not great on the perimeter, but he was kind of bad in rotations and stuff like that. Trevor Ariza, even at the back end of his career, is a significant upgrade in terms of on-ball defense and veteran-savvy off-ball defense, knowing when to commit, when not to commit big game reps for all of that stuff. So those three things in particular are why I'm a little bit more optimistic about them defensively this year. What about what I just said? Do you think I'm wrong about, are you also optimistic that there'll be a good defensive team this year? Or do you think there'll be a slip? I think you made good points there. Like you talked about Kyle Kuzma. I think he's like the face of this uh, for me. Cause it's kind of crazy when he left um, the kind of national media was like, Oh, who's going to defend now? which is just wild to me because when Kyle Kuzma was here, he was known as a bad defender. Like he could not defend uh, before, you know, he got with Vogel and really um, upped his help defense, upped his, upped his point of attack defense. To me, it's just all, all it's like reputation versus ability, right? It's kind of like Russell, West, Russell Westbrook can defend, like he has all the tools, but he's just never shown it the last few years to be a good defender. Um, same with Trevor Reza, I think, People are worried about his age a little bit. Um, I know you talked about him. I'm worried about him being at that age in 82-game season. I think 82 versus 16, this is kind of what we're discussing here. In the regular season, like how much effort is he going to have um, defensively? LeBron as well, right? LeBron, is he going to put up another crazy defensive year? Like I think that's where the thing is here. Um, Anthony Davis will be the, the rock on that team, obviously. He'll be the center. But uh, in that starting lineup, to me, I still think Mark's going to start. So like for me, I feel like AD's not going to start at the five. I think I think we talked about this. So like your defense there, Westbrook, LeBron, maybe any, 
whoever's at the guard spot also doesn't have a reputable defense, right? If, if it's Wayne Ellington, Malik Monk, uh, maybe it's Kendrick Nunn, who's a little bit better as a point of attack defender, but that's where my pessimism is. Um, I think Vogel should get the benefit of the doubt. Like last year, I think Braun and AD played like 20 games together or something, and they still kept the number one defense. But I think that's where the question here is for me. Like for you, how much do you think LeBron will be bought in, I guess, defensively um, this season? Because I think that's where it is. Um, and we'll discuss his like comments, I guess, later. But like just him uh, on the defensive end, I think that's where we'll have to see. And Westbrook as well. He's going to have to show it. Westbrook's been in this league for way too long to have the benefit of the doubt defensively. And I think that's where it's so key. To me, your guards need to be have some level of uh, awareness uh, on defense to to have an impact there, to have a good defensive team. And I think the Lakers last year, they did. Um, you can credit the coaching staff, but you always talk about it. Credit the players as well for getting better on that end. The players had to put in the work, and they did. We had good defensive guards, and we'll see this year. But that I think that's where most of the pessimism is, at least for me too. Uh, I think we're going to score, score like hell. But uh, like staying in front of guys, uh, that's what I'm worried about. AD can clean up a lot, but... I, I mean, how much can he clean up is my question there. But, yeah, for you, how much do you think LeBron is going to be? Because I think he's a big key of that starting lineup. He's going to be – he's going to have to be the second secondary uh, secondary um, help defender if it's Marcus Gasol at center. So where, where do you think – how much do you think LeBron buys in this this year? I think LeBron's going to have a great defensive season. Uh, the, the, the really short, easy answer there is that he has – he's going to have less offensive responsibility than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of a single season – in my time watching and rooting for LeBron, where he's going to have less on his plate offensively. He's going to be able to have entire games where Russ really has it going, where he can take on yeah. a tertiary role. Now, whether or not he even wants that is, is another story, but I think he's going to have a lot of... We know LeBron. LeBron likes to be the center of attention, and it actually manifests in a good way in a situation like this because LeBron is so capable of impacting the game without the basketball in his hands that he's that guy that, like... If the crowd's really into it and Russ is Russ is the star of the show, LeBron's going to try to squeeze his way in there and be the star, but not by taking shots. He's going to do it by defending, by getting out in transition and trying to get dunks. He, he he's done this periodically over the years with Kyrie, with Dwayne Wade, where like he finds a way to stay visible on the court. Uh, through what he does off the ball defensively and then just as a rebounder, just a just a big presence on the floor. Um, you know, don't forget, like, it, they're not going to go into training camp and have Frank Vogel walk in and be like, all right, guys, so uh, we're going to be a lesser defensive team this year because, you know, Kendrick, you suck, and, you know, uh, Malik, you can't defend either. So what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on the offensive end. No, that's not what he's going to say. You know what Frank Vogel's going to come in there and say? Hey, guys, guess what? We're going to be the best defensive team in the league this year. That's what he's going to say. That's going to be the identity of the team. That's going to be what Frank's uh, focus is. Now, does Frank have different pieces to work with this year? Yes, but like I discussed earlier, your pick-and-roll defense is going to shift from a combination of Mark... Uh, Marcus All, Andre Drummond, and Montres Harrell to a combination of Marcus All, Dwight Howard, and Anthony Davis. That's a gigantic upgrade in your big man pick and roll defense. You know, minutes that were going to Markeith and Kuzma are now going to go to Ariza and Melo. That's uh, Melo is is a, a less than good defensive player, but Ariza's better. So I would argue that's a slight upgrade there. He's going to look at the guards and he's going to say, "Okay, we're a little thinner." We have guys who can defend at the point of attack, but guys that can't. And he's going to build a scheme that is going to work. He's going to think in terms of lineups. He's going to think, okay, my bench lineup is going to center around Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk with LeBron and Dwight Howard and some other wing to be. So with this group, we need to use a funneling defense where we mm-hmm. chase guys off the line and try to always force them to the middle where Dwight ha- or whatever. And I'm just coming up a baseline or middle. I don't know what his scheme is going to be. He's going to figure out what he thinks is going to work with that specific lineup and they'll shift around. And that that's just, that to me is like, as much as we are pessimistic, I have a feeling that Frank Vogel is actually kind of chomping at the bit here to get to work with these guys because I would be willing to bet he thinks they're going to be a great defensive team this year. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we can say this is the offensive team, but Frank Vogel, obviously, like his thing is defense, even sometimes at a detriment to the offense, right? He's going to pick defense over offense um, every single time. I, I think you're right with that, though. Like just on the basketball floor, I think this is this has to be a funneling type of defense, um, funneling or a switching defense, depending on the kind of personnel. But I think funneling probably makes more sense um, again because I don't believe AD is going to play the five as much as, you know, people think he is. But if it's like AD and Dwight, then you can really have the guards kind of funnel. I think that's one thing that Frank Vogel is really good at. He's good at, like, good at explaining his scheme, right, making it kind of simplified for the guys on the floor, um, kind of forcing guys into the paint. Um, and then AD and LeBron can kind of be those crazy help defenders where AD kind of gets steals that come to the corner and stuff, stuff like that. Like, that's how I believe this team will defend. Um, but it, it remains to be seen, like, when you have guys like Westbrook, Carmelo in your you know, in your rotation like that, you give up stuff defensively. That's just how it works. Guys can kind of pick on him. Um, and he can get, get back on get back on them on the offensive end. But that's, I guess, where the concern is. But, yeah, I think I agree. Like, it has to be a funneling defense. Or if 80s at the 5, you can kind of switch a little bit with Braun and, Braun and AD at the 4-5. But uh, it remains to be seen. But I'm not as optimistic as, like, a top 5 defense. I'm not. I'm not sure. I think if they can stay top 10 and with the offensive jumps that they have, I think it can make up for the margin and make them a better team than they were last year uh, for sure. But I guess that's where I want to see it first. Um, Cause again, I think Mark's going to start and then Dwight off the bench, Dwight, uh, Dwight as your main center. Um, we'll, we'll see how that works, but, but yeah, I'm interested to see how like they defend, defend with that. I think that it, in terms of the scheme of the defense, they have a lot more versatility than I think people realize. Yeah. Uh, they can go with a, you know, everyone thinks that this Laker team has no point of attack defense. I would actually disagree. I think that one of Russ's strengths actually is point of attack defense. It's probably his only defensive strength, but, <laughs> but it's something where when he, when he, he's such a competitor, he gives a shit. So like, he's just going to be, you know, against specific matchups, he's going to take that point of attack role pr- Personally, now if you th- imagine a lineup with Russell Westbrook, Talon Horton Tucker, Kent Bazemore, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, that's an excellent point of attack defense team. That's a team that's not going to give up a ton of straight line drives. Now you can imagine a switching defensive uh, lineup that's got Anthony Davis at the five, LeBron at the four, Trevor Ariza at the three. You know, Bazemore and Russ. Now, you know, I'm six five or bigger, uh, two through five, and Russ is super strong and athletic, so I can probably switch everything in that lineup. That's a switching lineup that would work. And then, you know, lineups that have Nunn and Monk in the backcourt, maybe you play AD at the four with Dwight Howard and you go big in the front court. You trust all the shooting off of Anthony Davis to generate space, and you just continually funnel chase all you give them an easy role look Malik I know you haven't been a great defensive player in your career all I need you to do is chase these guys off the line if you can chase them off the line I've got Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis behind you they're going to be able to clean up a lot of your messes there's a versatility with the lineup that I think again with a full training camp and with the full uh, uh, set of normal practices that I think that this Lakers team is going to be able to defend. I personally think they uh, will end up as a top five defense this year, just in terms of their depth, Frank Vogel, you know, the chip on their shoulder, the identity of the team, so on and so forth. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the defense before we move on? Yeah, I think the depth is a good point. You look down that roster, and it's like tough to see who's not going to play, right? Like, I, like I go down. Um, you were asking me like what end of the bench guys you're thinking, and I'm going down the roster. I'm like, I don't even know who's the end of the bench guy right now because I'm not really sure. We have like 12, 13 guys who can play, and again, maybe that'll bode well for guys like Ariza who can kind of play 18 to 15 minutes and just be, you know, just be crazy active defensively in those minutes instead of having to be relied on for like 25 to 30. And again, guys like Monk, none, all those dudes have the ability to play defense. Like they have all the tools. It's just can they fit into the scheme? Do will they, you know, be engaged? Will they make the rotations? You know, care about the little things. These are all guys who want another contract. You know what I mean? All this stuff kind of goes into this this kind of stuff. So um that's what I'm interested in. Will they do the little things? Uh, but yeah, I think we covered uh, pretty nicely how the defense defense would shape up. I think I think they'll do the little things well too. And and the very last thing I'll say and then we'll move on is like we have two years of Laker defense. We have a year where they were the best in the West, but two Eastern Conference teams had better defensive ratings in a historically weak defensive uh, uh, Eastern Conference right. from from basically from 
eight to 15 in that conference was absolute garbage. So as, as you and I have discussed at length, a lot of the advanced metrics from that season don't make a ton of sense, uh, particularly in the Eastern conference. So I thought the Lakers were the best defense in, in the league that year. I think they proved it. And then last year they actually were the best defensive team in the league. So I think, and there was a ton of roster turnover. You could have actually argued that shifting to Marcus all and Montrez Harrell was going to be a downgrade defensively last year. Uh, and Dennis Schroeder is good as he is as a ball pressure guard he kind of brings his whole other slew of defensive shortcomings because of his size uh but yeah so it'll be interesting to see and we'll keep an eye on it but i just wanted to kind of express where i'm at with the whole thing and let you know why i'm optimistic about it but let's move on to ariza because this is another thing that i'm i'm kind of in the uh in the you know i was listening to the lfr pod uh yesterday i think actually and they did a pod on ariza and mellow and there was a lot of pessimism surrounding Ariza from those guys. And, you know, it, a lot of it does make sense. You know, like uh, uh, Trevor Ariza, even though he was a great athlete in his prime, he's certainly on the back end in that regard. Uh, uh, he did not look great against Milwaukee in the playoffs last year. However, I would, as a cautionary tale, like when a team gets swept and the wheels come off like that, I tend to think that, I mean, like look at the Lakers last year. A lot of guys who got paid this year didn't look great in that in in that specific matchup. But the point being is that you know I'm gonna uh, the reason why I'm optimistic about Ariza is is pretty simple. You when you're when you are in that fifth guy in the lineup type of spot, so much it's more about what you can screw up than what you can help. You know what I mean? So for instance, like if I'm running a bench lineup and I need a primary ball handler, I'd rather go small and play someone like Malik Monk at the two or at the three, even even if I had to play him at the three in a three-guard lineup, because I need dribble creation. And he, at that point, is almost at the top of the food chain for that particular lineup. But Ariza's never going to be that guy. Ariza's always going to be on the floor with super high-end creators in Russell Westbrook and LeBron James. He'll never play a minute this year without either Russell Westbrook or LeBron James on the floor. He's going to be at the end of the lineup where all you really need is for him not to screw things up. He's not an elite three-point shooter, but he's not a guy you can completely leave butt naked all the time. So that's that's not going to really hurt your spacing all that much. And then defensively, even at this stage of his career, he's actually better than any wing defensive player that the Lakers have had in recent years. Now, the last thing I'll say about Ariza before, before I let you go is there's something to be said about his minutes. If you look at his basketball reference sheet, he's always playing. <laughs> Not only that, he's always playing a lot. Okay. Yeah. Since he became a bona fide rotation player, last year was his lowest minutes total, and he played 28 minutes a game. 28 minutes a game would have been one of the top rotation players last year on the Lakers. Now, what does that mean? It just means that for whatever reason, coaches trust this guy as that fifth guy in their lineup. And I think Frank will too. If you look throughout his basketball reference sheet, on every one of these teams, he's just constantly slot in as that fifth guy. And it's because he doesn't make mistakes. He shoots wide open shots. He makes simple reads out of closeouts. And he defends at a high level, which is all you need out of that fifth starter. That's all you need. Stop thinking about him being with the Lakers back in in 2009, reverse dunking on dudes. Okay, that's not that's not what his role is going to be on this team. It is going to be a master, uh, like a, a completely simplified role that I think at his at his age and with his experience, he's going to excel at. Yeah, for sure. And Ariza is a guy that like you know Laker fans love because of that time. But I'm just watching him now. To me, he's like he's not obviously as good as Andre Iguodala. But, like, he's in that kind of, like, older kind of statesman. And I think he can do what P.J. Tucker did, right, in the playoffs this year. Like, to me, he's in he's in some gap between those two, <laughs> to me. Like, he's a better shooter, I think, than P.J. Tucker showed he can be. Um, and he's not the playmaker Udall is, but he's a guy that he's just a glue guy. He knows how to play the game of basketball. He knows how to find find guys when, when they're open. Um, he makes the simple reads. Um, he, he knows, like, if the help comes here, he knows where to pass. And 28 minutes a game, I, I did not know that. I did not know he played that much last year. But, um. Eric Spolstra doesn't, you know, take fools. He doesn't just play you if, if, uh, uh, if you exactly if you don't know what you're doing. So obviously he was he uh got something there, and 
uh, Miami obviously trusted him. But I think you're right. I think that's the biggest thing here is can the minutes go to like 18 to 20? And then he can be supercharged in those minutes um, instead of, you know, having to play 28 minutes because maybe that's why some of the, you know, some he looks kind of slow sometimes. And that's expected at 35 uh, years old. But I think to me, he's another like, you know, last year we got a lot of 82 game players. Like Montrezl Harrell was an 82 game player. Um, when you look at the signing, Dennis Schroeder ended up being kind of like 82 game player. Um, but Trevor Reese, Trevor Reese is a 16 game player to me. Like uh, what he does in the regular season, um, I, he'll have good, he'll, he'll have bad, he'll have ups and downs, he'll look slow sometimes. But I think in a 16 game playoff setting, that's a guy you want in your team, and that's what matters to me here. Um, he's a guy that you can throw on the best wing defender, and you could just say, hey, stick him, and then go stand in the corner on offense, and he can do that. He'll play his role, um, and I, I think that's what's really interesting about him. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more optimistic about Trevor Reza than I think uh, most of the national media is. I think he will defend well. He's one of the guys that's been a good defender no matter how old he has been, So, and he knows what he's doing. So, uh, so I agree with you there. It's interesting because he he's used to being the physical presence in these lineups. And, you know, when you watch with Miami, for instance, you know, they have Bam, um, uh, but like they were using him as their primary wing defensive player. You look at uh, to, to add size and length and athleticism, the Rockets team, literally he's playing on a Rockets team that's playing Chris Paul and James Harden. The vast majority of their athleticism in that lineup was tied up in in uh, Trevor Reza because it'd be like Eric Gordon at the three and then like Clint Capella who wasn't guarding on the wing but he was playing in that lineup too the point being is like this guy is used to being the guy that coaches insert into the lineup to be the 6-8 switchy wing that can kind of cover a lot of ground and make up for shortcomings from their smaller less athletic guards well now he's going to be the the third or fourth most athletic guy in every lineup so, like, he's going to be playing alongside LeBron and Anthony Davis, LeBron and Anthony Davis in lineups that are just massively physically imposing. That to me is the exciting part. And, and you know, you said 16 game player, and, and I agree. Like, his greatest value will be in those playoff moments. And the, the reason why is, like I just said, you, we, we watched the Bucks fall down 2 0 in back to back series not back-to-back in uh, two series, and they actually lost game one against Atlanta too. But over the course of those series, their physicality just eventually won the day. As things continued on, the other team just got tired and physically beat in a way that they couldn't match their intensity, and then it ended up costing them series. And, and it won the Bucks the championship. I think the Lakers are going to have a similar impact on teams, and I think Ariza is going to be a huge part of that. When you run lineups that have Russ, Bazemore, Ariza, LeBron, and AD, that is just a gigantic like bludgeoning lineup in terms of just physical strength and power and athleticism. And that sort of thing, you know, if you just swap Ariza for Kyle Kuzma, that already just becomes a significantly less physically imposing lineup because Kuzma, you know, we give him the reputation uh, or he earns the reputation of being a lesser defender. We give him props for turning himself into a passable defender. He never became a high end defensive player that, that, that never happened. He had his moments, but he was inconsistent. We just were giving him props for, turning what was kind of a huge negative into something that was passable. Ariza is an above average player, even at this point in his career on the defensive end of the floor, him plugging him instead of Kuzma into that lineup, in my opinion, is an upgrade in a playoff series in terms of that physicality and that length and athleticism. So I, I, I think that I agree with you in the sense that he's going to be one of their biggest weapons in all of their key lineups in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And he has a, he's another guy with like a 7-2 wingspan, right? Just huge arms, can really get steals. I, I think about a lineup with like, we're not talking about THT today, but like THT, Ariza, you know, AD, and then you throw LeBron and whoever at the point, Russ or whatever. And that's just a lot of arms going everywhere. And he's another guy, like I think Vogel also comes from like that Spolster kind of, he's going to go with defense, man. Like Trevor Ariza is a guy who can defend. Um, uh, he has a chance to start too, I feel like. Like he could he could start on this team. Um, if he's the best defender in camp, I think he will at the two. That's just the way Vogel kind of works. So, um, yeah, I think he, he's going to get minutes on this team. Uh, again, like I would like him in that 18, 20 minute. I think we have enough guard. You talked about the depth 
the depth earlier, like we have enough guards on this team like that can kind of play. Um, a whole bunch of guys are going to need minutes, and I think that works well for these older dudes like like Ariza, who can just you know focus on his role, defend and uh, defend and hit hit corner threes. And I think he does that well. I think like half his shots came from three last year if i if i looked at the numbers correctly um so uh, but, uh yeah it was something like that if i remember correctly yeah yeah so he's a guy who's like a three and d and knows exactly what it is you know he's not going to try to run pick and rolls he's not going to do anything that's out of his scope he knows exactly what he is in the nba he knows what stuck him in the nba and he's going to do that and i think those kind of players fit really well on a team full of you know guys who need the ball who need touches all that stuff ariza is a guy just that can just fit in and, that, and you talked about that He's a glue guy. He's why he's playing 28 minutes a game, which is really high for a guy at that age. I did not think he was playing. I don't even know. LeBron played like 32 or something, which is just, which is just, which is just funny to look at a reason it's in, in that, in that way. But uh, yeah, he's a guy who's going to play. He's a glue guy and, and uh, he fits well into this, this core for sure. He kind of reminds me of Wesley Matthews in the sense that like, it's yeah. ju- it's about the fact that he won't make mistakes. You know, like you can, Wesley Matthews did not shoot the ball particularly well last year, but he was still one of my favorite plugins for lineups as a fifth guy, as long as everything else was kind of covered by the other four players because of the fact that he just doesn't make mistakes and he competes on the defensive end. He's like a small forward version of Wesley Matthews. So last year, Lakers minutes, uh, KCP, KCP played 28 minutes a game. So that gives you an idea of, uh, of just the kind of, role that Kyle Kuzma had and again like or excuse me that uh, Trevor Ariza had last year and and that was down from previous seasons so the point is is like if NBA coaches keep putting him in the lineup then clearly there's value there uh but let, let's go on to Ellington and I want you to go first on this one so what you you specifically mentioned that you wanted to talk about Ellington today why did you want to talk about Ellington what has you so excited about him I feel like he brings something that we just haven't had um, on this team in like two or three years, actually. Just a guy, just a movement shooter. You know what I mean? I think that changes so much when you have a screener like AD. So like when you have actions like where Ellington, because the Lakers run this run this action a lot where they start a shooter in the corner, right? So they start, the, so sometimes it's KCP, but whoever it is, Avery Bradley did this a lot, right? He had this dribble handoff with Dwight Howard that they would run a lot off the bench. Um, he'd come off, but Avery Bradley's not a three-point threat. So, like, Avery Bradley would come off, and he's at the free throw line. And it was effective. Avery Bradley hit his mid-range jumpers or throw that lob to Dwight. Wayne Ellington can do that behind the three-point line. So, like, that screen can kind of move up. And I think it's really exciting. Um, he was in, like, the – I was looking at his numbers. He was in, like, the 76th percentile as an off-screen shooter. And these guys really comfortable moving off screens um, and just being able to fire like that. And having a shooter like that, I think, changes everything. When you have a guy like Russ, Braun, AD, just a guy who can fit. Um, I know you were talking about that you don't think he's going to play much, but I just feel like having that kind of dead-eye shooter um, who can fire away, who can get hot, shoot shoot 40% from three – um, it's something we just haven't seen on this team. So what do you think about him? Do you, do you think like my excitement is, is a little bit overflowing on him or, or what do you think? Cause I, I'm really excited to have a shooter of this caliber. KCP couldn't shoot like this coming off screens. KCP was more of a spot up guy. He hit a few kind of curl shots, but not, not in this way. Wellington is really good at like catching and then squaring up uh, really quickly um, and not having to, you know, set his feet and stuff like that um, in a way that our other shooters did. Yeah, so Ellington's a player that I've probably changed my opinion about the most since the signing. Uh, when he okay. first signed, I just I thought of him. His first signing kind of reminded me of Troy Daniels uh, a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember For that. Sure. Where like, oh yeah, where like the Kawhi news hadn't even come down yet, and then it was just like Troy Daniels has agreed to a minimum deal, and you're like, you're like, okay, like I get, I, like it was, it was clear that it was one of those deals that he just didn't carry was just going to the Lakers you just assumed he was going to be an end of the bench guy and he basically was he barely played that year well that's what I thought about the the uh the Ellington signing at first because it was weird it was like really quick it was early in free agency none of the other chips had really fallen yet and it was just like oh by the way Wayne Ellington's going to be a Laker and you're like okay cool well um you know, uh, I was really interested. I, I got intrigued by him after listening to the J.J. Redick podcast um, when he said that the most underrated signings, uh, most underrated signing from the Lakers this past summer was the Wayne Ellington signing. And he just said because he thinks that he's one of the best shooters in the game just from his personal experience. And, and then he also said something that I thought was interesting. He's like, he's one of the best competitors that I've played with. And I thought that was really interesting because to me, defense in particular is all about 
competitiveness. It's all about this idea that, you know, you have a certain amount of physical tools, which Ellington's going to be a below average defensive player in terms of his physical tools at the position. But so much of it can be made up for just with giving a shit and and caring. And to me, that comes from your competitive nature. And, and that, that to me is something that, uh, that, uh, that drew, brought me back around to look into Ellington. So as I started to look into him, a couple things stood out to me. One, he's bigger than I thought he was, uh, oh, yeah. w- which was interesting because I, for some reason, I thought he was in that like kind of like six two range, but it turns out he's six four without shoes on. So he's actually got some size to him. Mm-hmm. And then two, kind of similar to what I was saying about Ariza, he plays a lot, and he was on a team in Detroit where uh, they had a lot of young guys, and they were rebuilding. And they were trying to give minutes to young guys, and he was starting when he was there. And think think about what that would take, like uh, the coaching staff deciding to start Wayne Ellington, kind of a known commodity at this point in his career, over prioritizing youth. And I think the reason why is because they knew in, in it actually helped the younger players because of all the little things he did on the floor to create space, to give them the ability to run uh, to to run actions for him and so on and so forth, that uh, that to me gets me excited. And, and that that particular play that you're talking about, the one that they used to, there was a famous moment last year. I don't know if you can remember which game it was, but when they ran that horns action with the pin down handoff for Avery Bradley like five times in a row, and he scored oh, every yeah. time. I can't remember who they were playing, but it was something like that. It but, was the Jazz. I'm pretty sure it was the Jazz. But uh, that sounds about was, right. Yeah. 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 But, like, it's funny because, like, the the Lakers, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis have such high basketball IQs and they don't care about how they score that they were just willing to keep running the play because they didn't care. All they cared about was the fact that they were scoring. And, you know, what's funny is this year, and this isn't just Ellington, this is Monk, this is uh, uh, especially Kendrick Nunn because he's so good on dribble handoffs. They they actually have three really good options to run that specific action with, and and uh, Ellington is really really exciting because he's actually a lot better than any of those guys at catching and firing with just the smallest amount of space, which is the kind oh, yeah. of thing that causes defenses to panic and start to jump that action, which is what leads to stuff like Anthony Davis slipping that screen or Dwight Howard slipping that screen, and now you've got. Uh, you know, a rim run that's uncontested or one that's going to lead to a wide open three on the backside. And so just he brings a unique threat that really no one else on the roster, even Malik Monk, although Malik Monk is a a pretty good quick release catch and fire type of guy. Ellington's just better than him at that. So having having that as an option, I think will actually end up getting him quite a bit of burn in a way that I didn't think so when he first got signed. Yeah, and it just opens the floor. I mean, like that again. If you go run, go watch those actions. Like Dwight and AD or whoever's setting those picks. Like they're in, they're below the three point line, like near the free throw line. And then like Ellington can kind of, and KCP's not as comfortable, right, pulling up from three in these actions. Ellington is. He'll just fire. Um, I think he's a little better ball handler too. I don't know how much a better passer he is, but he's a little better ball handler. He can put on the floor. He can hit like step back threes, side step threes. Like he's really comfortable. Um, shooting all types of ways. And, and you talked about his like you see on JJ JJ Reddick's podcast. He's competitive. Um, I I could see that, but like you know if if Wayne Ellington was like a two way guy, you're not getting him for the minimum. So like I'm going into this thinking like he's a he's a one guy one way guy who can play defense, and I think that's the way I'll, I'll kind of look at him. Um, if he defends well, that's great. I think he can fit in the scheme for sure. And yeah, the Troy Daniels, I saw that comp a lot too. Um, but like he's six five, like that's I mean it, at least on Google he's listed at six five, maybe six four. It's a good size at the guard position, at the two guard position with the amount of length and um, height that he'll have around him. But yeah, I'm just excited to have a movement shooter like this, um, a guy who doesn't doesn't just need to be spot up, you know what I mean? Because you saw in the playoffs how that kind of works. Teams kind of get back to that, but a guy you have to top lock on, a guy you have to chase over the top. Uh, you can't just go under on his screens um, if you're even a, a little bit short. Last year, I think, was his best shooting in a while. So I'm not sure if he'll shoot the 41% or whatever he shot last year. But if that's at, like, 38% on the type of volume that he takes and the, the type of uh, shot quality that he takes, then, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about having a guy, a guy like this because I think he's the best shooter that we signed. Yeah, and he's going to be able to – they're going to be able to weaponize him as a screener too, which I think is exciting. This is something that the Warriors do with Steph all the time. But when you've got a shooter that you have to top lock on, but at the same time you can't switch, 
right. um, because he'll just run the big guy off a of screen and, and end up causing problems. As, as long as he can set a really solid back screen on Anthony Davis's man, it kind of puts them in the awkward position now where the little guy can't leave Ellington because he's in that lock and trail and the big guy's caught on the screen. Anthony Davis just cuts back door. There's a wide open dunk. That kind of thing is there's a lot of actions there that they'll be able to run that they just haven't been able to run in recent years. Did you have anything else on Ellington before we move on to the LeBron comments? Yeah, obviously I'm not going to compare him to Steph. No one's Steph. I mean, just like, so don't kill me. But like, you can just see how like even having one insane shooter changes the whole defense, right? Mm -hmm. Just even one. Like Steph is the really only guy, but still just him, his movement. And Ellington's not a guy that just stands there. He actually does move. Um, He's really active, you know, on the floor. Just having one guy like that just changes the concept of the floor, um, the floor balance. And like you talked about LeBron, AD, Russ, High basketball IQs will we'll know how to kind of use that and, and take advantage of it. And I'm interested to see what kind of Vogel um, comes up with that. So I think they have a lot of things to work on. But I'm just excited to have this uh, this level of shooting on the roster. I agree. And, they're, and yep, they got a full training camp to try to figure out how to make these guys work. And competition yep. is a good thing. Like when you have positional competition like this, it's it's there's a pressure on everybody to do their job to an even higher level because they know that if they don't, there's another option behind them that might be willing to do the work that you're not willing to do. Um, that kind of competition is good. Uh, okay, so let's quickly touch on this this LeBron thing. So I, I think it's interesting because you know, you know, this is something that everyone is so incredibly sensitive about, and uh, I get in trouble literally just for even saying that that LeBron can be a little bit corny, and I'll have people yeah. in my mentions calling me out. But uh, um, to me, this was a big non-issue. But for those of you guys who didn't see, LeBron basically didn't get voted as the best player in the league by 10 executives out there. Uh, um, And uh, uh, LeBron basically just used it as an opportunity on Twitter to revive the washed king meme. So there are two things that I want to talk about this. First of all, let's just start here. Do you care at all that LeBron is going to these great lengths to motivate himself no i mean lebron is a guy like just seems like he's having fun with it i mean i don't understand the the crazy i saw your tweets about it and that's why i was gonna let you kind of get your spiel off on this because like i I just think it's interesting man he's a guy that's self-motivated i mean you have to be to be at the age he is to have the accomplishments that he does the the money he's made he could stop right now but i mean he's self-motivated and this is how that works i guess like like when i just look at like on the floor stuff like he was the finals mvp to me he was the mvp before he went down you know what i mean and then so like of course he believes he's the best why shouldn't he like that's on him i don't get what the big deal is and he has fun with it he laughs about it um he i don't know i think that, was that a gas station meme like was was that what that was the the, the pump pump me the up emoji yeah. yeah yeah was that a gas okay yes <laughs> But, uh, but uh, yeah, he has fun with it. And I think that's what's important, man. It's not, I don't think he takes it too serious, but obviously it's, he motivates him. Um, you say Giannis is the best player in the league. And, you know, you could say KD is the best player in the league. There's arguments for both of those. Um, but I mean, there's argument for LeBron too. And he's just saying, uh, he's just pumping himself up, man. And he did this, he does this a lot. And the only thing I'll say about this, LeBron's been a Laker for three seasons, right? And um, he's got hurt in two of them, like, pretty much so like to me it's all about health with lebron like when he's healthy he's been the best player in the league to me the last three years and it's all about him staying healthy so like this but this is all really fun and it, we're in uh august i mean we have like 45 days um i think till preseason which is kind of crazy and we're about to start here but yeah it's all fun what do you what do you think about it so on the on the motivation front like throughout nba history this has been the way that this stuff goes like they're they're uh um and, and this, this, for the record, is not something that's unique to stars. This is for anybody yeah. who's a competitor in any... I, I personally, when I play pickup, sometimes like some kid will say something, and I really shouldn't care, but for some reason, I'll just use it as an excuse to rev up the engine a little bit. You know, you, you come up with... You know, like, for for a guy like LeBron, he literally plays in front of 20,000 people 82 times a year, and then again in the playoffs on these big stages, like there's in the there's a uh, there's a certain like uh, like long and drawn out process that is the the NBA regular season. And so if he uses these sorts of things to motivate himself, 
who cares? And, and Michael Jordan used to famously like there was a whole thing in, in the last dance about how he fabricated something that a role player on a bad team said to, 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 to go off against some bad team. And then it turned out it never happened. Like that to me is just part of the process of trying to get through this stuff. And then I saw someone on Twitter say some, some media guy go, like, why is LeBron so offended that we think he's the third best player instead of the best player? And I want to be like, uh, have you ever, ever, ever met anybody who's good at anything? They want to be the best. Like, the, they're arguably more offended by saying you're the third best than saying you're the 20th best because that means you're close but not that guy yet. You know, like, they're, 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 it's so obvious why he might be able to draw some motivation from that. This is a guy in his 19th season who for more or less like has no chance of improving any ground in the goat debate. You either think he is or he's not. I mean, like the, the, that ground is so overtrodden that everyone's really made up their mind. It doesn't really make a difference, but for whatever reason, like people can't relate to the fact that he uses it for, for motivation. I think it's ridiculous. Now, Let's talk about whether or not LeBron's the best player in the league because this, to me, is the is the more interesting question. Yeah. Now, uh, in this poll, there were ten executives, and five of them voted for Giannis, and five of them voted for Kevin Durant. Now, I think that there are five players that have a case to be this guy: Giannis, Kawhi, LeBron, Steph, and KD. You know, the KD thing makes some sense to me. KD is a different archetype of player of LeBron, but he's arguably mastered that archetype to the same level. What I mean by that is like in terms of the like ultra efficient three level scorer, who's just an absolute sniper type of jump shooter who also has the size to get those shots off against any defense. You know, Kevin Durant is the perfect version of that. And he demonstrated it at the highest level against Milwaukee outplaying Giannis I thought comfortably and making it clear that he had a case to be the best player in the league you know when I start talking about Giannis I'm talking about a player with some gaping holes in his game you know a guy that you know even against just against Phoenix like he had a great deal of success defensively and had a great deal of success in semi-transition meaning when the defense wasn't set he was unstoppable getting to the rim but then in half-court sets you know, Aiton was able to square him up a little better. And aside from a couple of, you know, kind of strange foul calls, I thought the Suns actually defended him really well in the half court. You can actually see where Giannis isn't that guy yet. You know what I mean? But like when I'm making the case for LeBron as the best player in the league, it's really simple. On the defensive end, is he a defensive player of the year type of candidate? No. But before he went down with injury last year, he probably was going to get second team all defense. And he still is incredibly savvy as a backline defender with his hands underneath the basket and blocking shots above the rim. He's a great communicator, and he's still really good on the ball defensively, especially against the bigger, stronger wings in the league. He's probably the best body that you could throw at somebody like Kawhi in the league right now in terms of the ability to handle his strength at the point of attack. So LeBron still brings a great great deal to the table defensively offensively when he's at his peak we literally saw him in the playoffs last year have uh, or in the in the bubble last year have a play, uh, playoff run where he averaged 28 points a game on 65 percent true shooting well uh Giannis just averaged 30 points a game on 60 percent true shooting so LeBron offensively is still capable of generating offense at the highest possible level that a basketball player can generate offense then you have his playmaking ability He's arguably the best passer in the league. If you think someone like Jokic or Luka is better, he's still in that top three, which is a whole other facet of the game, especially in the playoffs, especially in the half court when the windows are so tight and the defenses are so locked in and you need to generate high quality offense. LeBron crosses all those boxes. And because of that, he absolutely has a case to be the best player in the league. It's that simple to me. None of the other players that you encounter can cross those boxes the way that he does in terms of elite defense, elite playmaking, and elite scoring. There's literally zero guys in the league that can do that. He has to be considered. And so the, any sort of pushback that he might think he's the best, I think, is silly. Yeah, for sure. And you brought up, brought up a whole bunch of basketball kind of um basketball takes with that and uh, i guess my thing is like we, we always talk about like 16 versus eight, like 82 right um and like to me like if 
you're looking at a 16. If you need to win a playoff series, like, who are you taking? You know what I mean? Like, to me, it's still LeBron. I think that kind of answers my question with it. Uh, but, like, when you're talking top three KD stuff, like, to me, you're splitting hairs, like, there, right? Like, you're kind of splitting up, and you can kind of give the edge to LeBron. You can give the edge to KD, whichever people prefer, I guess, in this conversation. Uh, but, yeah, like, of course LeBron's going to be mad you put him top three. Like, that's, like, he's still – the way he trains, the way he works, the way he, like – pays a million dollars i think for his body every year you know all the kind of stuff all the stories all the things you hear um about how he works like of course he's going to be offended and offended about that and i think that's okay i think it's it's okay for him to do that use as motivation i think it's fun i think it's fine i hope they i hope the executives keep going like i hope they say he should come off the bench next year like i hope I hope they say he should, you know, I hope they say all kinds of stuff, you know, get him even more motivated for this season, um, you know, say that he should retire, you know, say say all this kind of stuff because I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I put this in a tweet earlier, like I feel like there was a seriousness and a tone that was set in the beginning of the 2019-2020 season. Um, you can go look up that. I know it's a preseason game. I know. I know it didn't matter. I know it was, you know, Steph and D'Angelo Russell in the backcourt. Like I know all that stuff was was on the floor. But just look at the tone and this and the like demeanor of the team. Like look at Anthony Davis, how he was, he like how serious he was. Look at LeBron, the tone he was setting. The, the his first and one, he was like screaming when they went up ten nothing again in a preseason game. That means nothing on Draymond Green. That means nothing when they've had multiple finals together. Like I think there's a seriousness and a tone that was set in that season. That wasn't there last year due to a bunch of circumstances, the the title, COVID, no fans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think this year we'll get that type of same um, series and tone set from day one, um, especially with Russ now coming uh, on the team, such a new personality, such a new star, such a new, you know, uh, energy to the team. And, and yeah, but I think LeBron, it's fine. I hope he continues to find things that motivate him. I hope Anthony Davis is reading all the stuff about how he's now a top 10 player maybe maybe he's top friend like i hope they're reading all this stuff i hope russ is reading that you know he he can't pass or whatever he can't shoot whatever so um yeah but uh it should be a fun season yeah 100 percent agreed this is the they they had a reason to to let their foot off the gas last year for like having to do with the short turnaround having to do with COVID, all that stuff that can't be that can't be allowed this year this mm-hmm. this season needs to be an attack from the start they have the depth, even for guys like Russ and LeBron. You don't have to go out there and do what Luka does for 82 games. You guys are sharing that burden, and you're sharing it with Anthony Davis. So the, the, there's no excuse this year. Uh, obviously, injury, as long as they can stay healthy. Uh, but as long as they can stay healthy, they need to attack this season and be nonstop prepping for this inevitable showdown um, uh, with with the Brooklyn Nets in the finals if they can make it through the West. So, like, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. And, and whatever LeBron needs to do to derive the, the motivation to do that, I hope he does it. Um, but we need to get you out of here. Uh, we'll, we'll get to some other stuff like the KD Draymond stuff uh, maybe early next week. We'll shoot for either Monday or Tuesday. Um, but I hope everyone here has a great weekend. I hope that uh, um, uh, hope that next year I can make it out to Vegas to see you guys all. I'm uh, planning on it at this point. We'll see how it goes, obviously, in the next year. But, Raj, I really appreciate your time, man, and we'll talk again next week. Thanks, everyone.